This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. You can receive all new content offered by EverythingVoluntary.com in your email inbox every single weekday for free. Visit Digest.EverythingVoluntary.com to subscribe. Uh, Before we start the episode, I want to invite you to join me as a featured guest. I'd love to chat and get to know you and give you this platform to bounce your ideas around. To schedule, go to the main website at EverythingVoluntary.com. On the right-hand side, there's a link to schedule with me immediately. Click that link, select a day and time, answer the questions, and submit. That's all it takes. Thank you so much. Hello, welcome to the podcast. It's November 14th. We're going to read some shit statists have said. Let's see, I've got one, two, three, four. I've got four of them up here. The second one, I'll give a bit of a backstory on. Um, I'll explain it when I get there. All right, this first one is from an Ask Reddit thread. And it's kind of a few uh, a few levels in, but this person named Diz Fizz <laughs> says, It's interesting to see how a lot of U.S. citizens will bend over backwards in order to argue against something that would only benefit them simply because of, quote, freedom. Now, the, the premise in this, uh, what this person wrote is that he knows what, what will benefit other people. And if he doesn't know, then some expert will know. And if they don't know, then some government, bureaucrat, administrator, politician, prosecutor, judge, lawyer will know. But nowhere in this premise is anywhere found the idea that everybody can and should decide for themselves what will benefit them. Right? You don't need freedom you just need to take our word for it that this thing will be good for you. I mean, this this is this is literally the argument or the proclamation made by every single dictator in the history of planet Earth. We know what's best for everybody, and we're going to give it to them good and hard. If you oppose us, you're done. You're gone. You're out of here one way or another. So it's not simply because of freedom that Americans or anybody argue against something that you think is beneficial. It's not because of freedom. It's because they don't agree with you. Okay, you believe that whatever it is, is beneficial. Maybe, for example, eating a vegan diet. You believe that's beneficial for everyone. Well, other people disagree. So the important question is, should they be allowed to disagree? And if they do disagree, should they be allowed to do what they want to do about it. Now, there's no doubt that freedom or liberty is a value and a preference for a lot of people, probably for a lot of different reasons. And this person probably got on Reddit, nobody told him to, 
right? He wanted to. He got into this conversation or he found this conversation. He had something he wanted to say and he chose, he didn't ask permission to say it. I mean, in a sense, I guess he asked Reddit because they gave him a login, but they gave everybody a login. So it's not like you have to apply and qualify. You know, it's not really asking permission. It's open access, we'll say. But he, he didn't, he didn't, you know, verify in, you know, his government's legal codes that he's allowed to do this before doing it. And that's probably true for a lot of his behavior. He probably doesn't ask permission for a lot of things, right? He probably believes in freedom for a lot of different things. But for whatever reason, and I'm not, it's not important. I'm not going to dig into what this conversation is. It doesn't matter. It may be about, it may be about mask. I think it's something to do with um, the original thread is what is your never again brand item store or restaurant? So what is, what is, what is, what is your brand item store or restaurant that you're never going to patronize again? All right. So, okay. So the, the original comment is talking about um, regulations on food products and stuff. So this guy's saying, you know, obviously having regulations or at least having labeling, something like that on the food can only benefit you. So why, why would you oppose it? Well, that shouldn't be your decision. If I want to buy food with a label on it, that should be my choice. If I want to buy food and just, I don't know, base my decision purely on the reputation of the the maker of the food or just, you know, because I just don't care, right? I want to play, I want to, <laughs> I want to play Russian roulette with my food. That should also be my choice. <laughs> and it's not simply because of freedom, right? It, it's actually a lot more than that. It's It's a lot more than that. Freedom is a prerequisite for living, having a life worth living, right? If you don't have freedom, if you don't, I mean, I just, Jesus, I just published this um, episode at Voluntarist Voices on human autonomy. It was one or two episodes back. Richard Ryan is the guy who's talking about all the research on human autonomy. If we don't have control over our lives, if we don't have buy-in, if we don't have, if we don't, if we aren't exerting will in the things that we're doing, then life is much more on the side of suffering than non-suffering, right? So it's more than just freedom. It's about what, what freedom is and what it gives you. All right, let's go to the next one. This is the one that requires a bit of backstory. So I'm going to read something here. It's from, it's from the subreddit called, Am I the Asshole? It's where people tell stories and ask if their behavior qualifies them as being the asshole or, or not. I guess it's a way for people to find validation and um, acting inordinately um, or irregularly with what they did. Anyway, here's the backstory, and then I'll get into what somebody said. There's actually, <laughs> I guess there's actually two statists here. There's one in the story, the niece, which you'll see in a minute. And then there's the person that comments later. So this person writes, uh, she's a 35 female. I lost my job after the pandemic struck and found another work and found other work in a meat company. It was much less pay, more tiring, longer hours, but beggars can't be choosers. I have three kids to raise and I need a job or it would be too much for my husband to, to shoulder that burden. I was going to continue to work there until I found a more suitable job because the boss of that company is quite an asshole. Some time ago, my niece, a 19 female, was looking for a part-time job and since there, were vacanc there was a vacancy in my workplace, I recommended her to my superiors. My brother's family is quite wealthy, fully funding my niece's studies and living expenses, and my niece only wanted a job for extra allowance. My niece soon found out that many of us working there are not paid the standard for overtime, and our workload exceeded the norm. She was disgusted by the environment and wanted to file a complaint about the company to the authorities. I begged her not to. 
Not because, for my love for the company, I was going to leave eventually, but because, like me, many of us there have families to feed and needed the job. My niece ignored me and ended up making quite a big deal out of it, posting pictures, videos, long paragraphs on social media, media, and filed some reports to fight, to quote, fight for our rights. I have no idea if it changed anything in the company. However, as a result of this drama, the company decided to dismiss to dismiss a portion of its staff, including me, and a few other coworkers of mine had lost their jobs. They did not voice it out directly, but they've been avoiding me, probably blaming me for introducing my niece to the job. I've been avoiding my niece too, because despite her good intentions, I still lost my job. My niece had been texting me, giving me all sorts of reasons why she, why, why what she uh, did was right. When I ignored her text, she sent more with long paragraphs, basically wanting me to acknowledge that she was right. I really don't want to put blame or argue with someone half my age still living in comfort with her parents, so in the end I replied, I just hope that you're proud of yourself. My brother texted me later saying that I was being unkind to his daughter, that as her aunt, who witnessed workplace toxicity with her, I should encourage her to continue to fight for what is right. I may be unemployed, but I'm going to spend my time looking for a job instead of joining some vendetta. Am I the asshole? (laughs) All right, so my answer to the question, is she the asshole? Absolutely fucking not. Her, her niece is the asshole. And anybody else who supports reporting companies that are giving jobs to people who need those jobs. Okay, what did, what did the niece think was going to happen? Did she think that the niece or the company was just going to, you're right, let's start, let's just cut into our profits, which are probably as minimal as possible right now in these trying pandemic times and try to pay more to our employees. No, they're going to lay off people. They're going to get rid of some people. They're going to fire people. You increase the cost of business, right? There's no such thing as free lunch. There are trade-offs, okay? This is one of the primary lessons in economics. There are trade-offs. And you might think that you know better than the company how to run the company's business, but you don't. And neither does any bureaucrat. The company will operate the way it operates. And if somebody decides that it's a better option than what they're currently doing, then guess what? They'll put up with it. And it will be better for them based on their own decisions, their own evaluations of that, not yours. You don't decide what's best for them. They do. So somebody responded quite oppositely than that. They said, no, um, uh, neither of you. What your niece did is right. It just unfortunately means that you and worker suffered. Your niece is now learning that her actions have consequences to other people. She didn't need to survive off that income, so she had every luxury of reporting them. It is unfortunate what happened, and deep down, I think you know the asshole is the company. Your niece tried to do the right thing, and I think she did the right thing. But being right and being employed are two different things in the real world. So, so here's the question. Did the niece really do the right thing? I don't think she did the right thing. Okay, it doesn't matter how toxic that workplace was. Nobody was a slave. Nobody was locked up. Nobody was in a chains. And everybody there, no doubt, had other options. They had other options. This just happened to be the, the next best alternative. And it's just how the job works. And you, you probably learn pretty quickly after getting the job just what kind of workplace environment it is, how toxic it is. And you choose, because you're an adult, you decide. I need the money. I'm going to tolerate it. So what, what can somebody do? Right? It, this begs the question. If not reporting the company to the, quote, authorities, which is only going to get people fired, which is only going to take away choices from people and make them all worse off, if that's off the table, because that's the wrong thing, 
what can somebody do? Well, there's, there's probably a lot of things people can do. People can work with their fellow employees, try to convince and persuade to make the place a little less toxic. Okay, that's one thing. The employees can attempt, probably unsuccessfully, can attempt to unionize. And I say probably unsuccessfully because it sounds to me like it's, it's probably entry-level work. And especially during these pandemic times, there's probably a lot of other people who are looking for jobs and will happily, happily take or tolerate the toxicity of that workplace. So, so why should the employer not just fire everybody for trying to unionize and then bring in some new people? That would be the smart thing to do so that the company can remain profitable to whatever degree it is and continue to exist. A lot of companies are going out of business right now. That doesn't help anybody. So you've got to think about what you can do to improve things that doesn't amount to increasing the cost of doing business for the company and ultimately getting people fired because that's not the right thing here. That's not the right thing. You go into some third world country, you see some factory that's got absolute shit working conditions and there's kids working there. You know what else you see? You probably see a line of kids out the door that would kill to take their place. And why is that? Because it's better. It's a better option, right? Every time, every time there's a new Walmart opening here, anywhere in the U.S., you know what happens first day? There's a, there's a line outside of people who want that job. It doesn't pay much. Apparently, they got great benefits, but it's a better option for people. I don't want that job, and right now, I don't need that job. Maybe someday I will. Maybe someday all of my options will be gone, and that will be the best I can get, and I will be grateful for it because it means that I don't have to take the next worst option. Right? That's what people don't get. That's what people don't realize. When you close down that factory in Bangladesh or wherever, where do those kids go? Do they just go home and play with their toys, go back to school? No. If their families could survive without them working, they, would be, they wouldn't be working. Labor regulations and unions didn't increase living standards and didn't take, take kids out of the workplace. You know what did that? capitalistic growth, economic progress. That's what did that. You take people's options away, you make them worse off. QED. All right, let's go to the next one. So this is some thread about uh, Reagans and the Reagans, Ronald Reagan and blah, blah, blah. And this person, and I don't, you know, I don't really care about Reagan or anything, whatever. He says, Reagan ruined this country. (laughs) I don't think that's true. But he says, by creating the notion, which is now foundational to the GOP, that government was not the solution, but the problem. He gave birth to the, martyr, the modern starve the beast movement that is currently the largest problem in politics, i.e. tax avoidance. <laughs> First of all, government as the problem, not the solution, is not foundational to the GOP. Maybe it was for a sliver of time in the Reagan years. Maybe. I don't know. I was a baby. I don't think so. I think it was rhetoric. Okay, I think it was rhetoric. But I don't know. Maybe. I could be wrong. It's, it's absolutely not foundational to the Republican Party today. The Republican Party that gave us the Patriot Act and uh, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and expanded Medicare and uh, blah, blah, blah. Government is the solution to all of these problems, right? That's, that's the Republican Party. But this guy says that the, the currently the largest problem in politics, this is the largest problem in politics, according to this guy. His name's Bickerstaff. That's his username. Tax avoidance. You see, that's the, that's the biggest problem. If people didn't avoid paying their taxes, their fair share, 
then we would have zero. We would have zero national debt, you see, right? People have gotten away with scamming the federal government out of 20 plus trillion dollars in unpaid in, in and avoided taxes, you see. Spending doesn't matter is what, is what this, is, this amounts to. Spending doesn't matter. You could spend trillions, sextillions, decillions, whatever, to the 15th fucking power. And it's all paid for as long as everybody pays their taxes, you see. So Reagan created the Starve the Beast movement. This is the first I've ever heard this phrase. I don't know. Maybe I've been living under a rock. Starve the Beast movement. And the biggest problem in politics is based on that, and that's tax avoidance. Is, is there much I need to say here? I don't think so. Um, is it a problem for the government that people don't pay their taxes? Yeah, sure. It's a problem for mafias when their victims don't give them what they're demanding, when they don't meet their extortion demands. Yeah, it's a problem, right? How can we, how can we, you know, how can we do what we do? Why am I, why am I sounding Italian? <laughs> how can we do what we do if you're not giving in to our extortion? Yeah, I guess it's a problem for them. Is it a problem for me? Is it a problem for you? Is it a problem for anybody but them? No, it's absolutely not. Tax avoidance is just extortion avoidance. Yeah, maybe that's a problem. Maybe maybe the, the extortioner, the mafia, is making promises that it will make good on debts to other people. And now it has a problem because people are getting wise and avoiding their extortion. Yeah, that creates a problem for them. But so fucking what? Why is that my problem? Why is that your problem? Unless you're one of these assholes, you're one of these bureaucrats. But that's not my problem. All right, there's conflation here. There's confusing the state for society. Again, this is what people do all the time. They're not the same thing. The state is a parasite on society. The state is a legal mafia that victimizes and extorts society. It's a cancer. Avoiding its extortion racket is heroic. It's honorable. It's virtuous. And it's not a problem. Well, getting caught might be a problem. <laughs> All right, let's go on to the let's go on to the the cherry on top here. This is on Cora. The question is, what is capitalism as an ideology? And this guy, Pascal Morimacil, Pascal Morimacil, Morimacil, I don't know, it's foreign. I'm not going to read his whole answer, but I'm going to read this one bit. This is how he starts this. He says, capitalism, an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. Okay, so far so good. More specifically, this is done through a system of government granted monopolies called private property. And, and it, it just goes downhill from there. But this is, this is the part I wanted to talk about. A system of government granted monopolies called private property. Now, there's absolutely no doubt that the state, right, the government, the thing we just talked about, right, legal mafia, parasite, cancer, interferes in different ways in the private ownership of scarce resources. And it has taken the power upon itself to define these things. And in so doing, people have exploited that. People have exploited that and have used this power to do what amounts to taking other people's property, right? And this, this is, you know, these, these quote, property rights schemes that are enforced by the state differ all around the world. There are places where, you know, simply simply having a vagina precludes you from having uh, having the right, quote, the legal right to own property. 
And it was true in this country in the past. So the state does these things. But the question here is that, is that what capitalism is? Is capitalism married to this idea of the state deciding what is and is not private property? A lot of people say it is. A lot of people on my side, right, in the anarchist, voluntarist, libertarian uh, tent would say, yeah, that is what capitalism is. A lot of other people would say, well, that's not really what capitalism is because these things can exist and have existed before states, right? Property norms have emerged and evolved in different ways without them being simply created by governments and codified. But I don't know. It seems like a semantic debate. Okay, there are people, the the free market anti-capitalists, who I like a lot of what they have to say. I'm in agreement with a lot of it. They take capitalism, capital C capitalism, to task for this. And they do. They marry it to the state. And they say, you know, everything that comes out of state capitalism, political capitalism, is de facto capitalism. And therefore, it's got to go. And to that extent, I agree. If that's the definition we want to use, fine, I agree. I don't think it's necessary, though. If we want to just say free markets and we allow um, private, emergent, spontaneous negotiation, either by persuasion or by a willingness to use violence, personal violence, is that how? if that's how property rights emerge and are maintained, then that's fine, too. Okay, let, let, let free people figure it out. Now, that's not to say that we can't talk about theory and we can't talk about first principles and how these things, you know, how these things should uh, turn out if we want to be logical about it. And we want to we understand the implications of different property norm schemes. And we want to talk about what sort of property rights are most justified, whatever that means, whatever that means to us, or whatever property rights schemes are most conducive to reducing conflict over scarce resources or most conducive, and maybe it's the same thing, most conducive to economic growth and progress. Or we can talk about what property property rights schemes are most conducive to some form of egalitarianism, right? These are things we can talk about and argue about, right? But when, when government comes along and says, we're going to, we're going to decide, that's when things become dogmatic, one size fits all. It becomes a uh, religious endeavor at that point. And unless you're politically connected, you're going to get the short, you're going to get the short end of that stick. Is that the right metaphor? Short, short shrift, right? Because people and the better connected you are, the more easily you're able to sway policy into your favored direction, right? That's when markets become crony, cronyist, corporatist, crony capitalism, state capitalism. So, you know, of course I don't like that. I don't want legal mafias deciding these things. But the other issue with this definition, a system of government-granted monopolies called private property, is that's not the right word. A monopoly is the exclusive right of sell, not the exclusive right of control. Okay, ownership is the exclusive right of control of a scarce resource. A monopoly is the exclusive right of sell in a market for a given good or service. These aren't the same things, because so he's, he's confusing Right? He's trying to make him, he's trying to sound all economic and intelligent. Government granted monopolies called private property. Property is not subject to monopoly. Those are concepts that don't have don't have really much to do with each with each other. So that's just a second point I wanted to make. All right, that's gonna do it. Let's see. Let's review. This first guy, Diz Viz, talked about how 
maybe other people should decide what benefits other people instead of the people themselves. This other person says it's a good thing to report a workplace that's toxic and get everybody fired. (laughs) The third person said that the biggest problem in politics is tax avoidance created by the Reaganite Starve the Beast movement. (laughs) And then this last guy talked about um, capitalism being a system of government-granted monopolies called private property, which doesn't make any sense. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, don't ask permission, and have a great day. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everything voluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.